work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. Yes, it is blue. We are recording on a Monday morning. Shocking. Ugh. Mondays. How are Mondays for you usually? <laughs> I'm usually just waking up around now. This is this is a new rhythm that I'm not appreciating. Yeah, taking the day and working on a Thanksgiving week because that's what you do. That's right. Yeah. So the the original title of this podcast was not Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem, but Blue Monday, a uh, '50s rock and roll song from New Orleans, written by a guy that you might not have heard of, Smiley Lewis, but Don't popularized by <laughs> Fats Domino. I won't sing it, but the lyrics are, Sunday morning, my head is bad, but it's worth it for the time that I had. But I got to get my rest because Monday is a mess. Right. And I nixed it, right? You nixed it. Yeah, I was the one who nixed this one this one, this time. You right. and your You and your fun titles. That you were you introed by uh, talking about Pat McAdams nixing <laughs> your, um, your podcast titles. I feel like I'm an expert titler. Yeah. Underrated skill set of mine. One, one, you, we'll let you think that. <laughs> um, anyway. I'm an underdog. Yeah. So well, happy Thanksgiving week. Yes. Um, it's a, it's a, like you said, a Monday. We're both clearing our heads, as mm-hmm. many people do. Many people who are listening to this, I guess they listen on a Wednesday commute. Wednesday is the hump day. They, it is. And just to say about that, we I've appreciated, I don't know if you've heard Em, hearing from people that the post-Sunday blues of preaching post-mortem is part of their Wednesday routine, Wednesday morning routines, whether it's the Wednesday commute to work or exercising. So I'm glad that we could be a part of your Wednesdays. It, it, <laughs> it's not my, it's not my part of my Wednesdays, but. Yeah, you don't listen to our podcast, Em. I can't listen to my voice. I mean, I. I don't understand how people can. I don't understand how you can. Love it. Especially when you're singing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, we're enough um too much pre banter. Uh this is a podcast was where this we banter or pre-banter? I don't know what this was. This okay. was probably pre banter. Let's get to real banter. The post Sunday blues um we're here. It's a time when we get to deep dive into your Sunday reflections, your mm-hmm. Sunday musings right the ones that you do from the pulpit <laughs> the sermonic stylings as they say um yeah it's a i don't sometimes wonder if i'm the right host for this because i'm when i'm listening i'm listening with different ears than a normal person i think is that true you mean because of this podcast or just because you have a wife pastor yeah, spouse factor i don't know i think it's the pastor spouse factor so this hmm. time especially because you Actually, you have permissioned it. <laughs> no, I I think I permissioned it. But Jim actually is super about. careful about asking family members about um, whether they could be used or not in in the sermon, mm-hmm. so that I guess you heard enough like pastors' kids stories yeah, from growing up. Pastor fail one hundred and one. Yeah, I think that our kids probably at this point have other pastors' kids issues, but they probably are more like. <laughs> kid issues and not pastor's kid issues 
and they wouldn't complain about being in the sermon. Well, that that means that maybe we're doing something right. I guess so. If they just have normal kid issues. (laughs) Maybe. Um, But so this is not only the post-Sunday blues uh, preaching post-mortem, but we get to like relationship post-mortem. Yes. (laughs) You started off with... Um, well, it was our dating history, so it was more of a pre-mortem. Yeah, back to our dating history. A lot of, you know, Thanksgiving, I think, brings out for a lot of people memories of meeting people's parents for the first time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's just like a relationship post-mortem type time. Yes. Would Would you like me to tell the story about the first time no. you met your parents? Okay. <laughs> just double checking there. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I've changed. I think I like flowers. That that's significant. People change over time, so. I mean, I don't like you need now... flowers. <laughs> that that is true. So the beginning of the sermon, we were talking about how we're not flower people. You and I, and I told a story from college where it came out in a bad date sort of scenario. But it has been the case that maybe a couple months ago, before the sermon formed, you said, "Hey, maybe maybe I'm not not a flower person anymore." Yeah, I think I've been influenced by, you know, I have friends who actually, like, keep plants alive <laughs> and their houses are, like, I have multiple friends like this. Their houses are full of greenery and, right. like, it feels, like, so good to be in their spaces. So now I'm kind <laughs> of like, oh, maybe I should like flowers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, okay, that's a, that's, see, that's the banter tangent. Um, the okay. point of that, no, what was the point of that illustration? I don't even, I, oh, the point... <laughs> The point was you had to get to know me and you had to keep getting to know me because I change. That's true. (laughs) That was not the point of continuity with the scriptures or with God. But the point being for me to be in relationship with you, I needed to listen to you and I need to listen to you to learn from you and to know how I can be pleasing to you. So that was the connection with the Bible. Right. So this is, yeah. And that's that's the, we can just jump into the sermon itself. Um, Call it Stormy Monday is our section where we think about Mondays, think about the storms ahead. Blue Mondays. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, why this sermon? Why this Sunday? Why this concept? Yes, so this is the last of our fall sermon series from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We'll pick up Genesis chapter 2 and go into to Genesis chapter 3 after the new year. And originally, I was not going to preach this sermon. This was an audible from maybe two or three weeks ago now where the, and this is where you go backstage with the sermon, right? So this was originally going to be part of the previous sermon where I was talking about other things. Uh, work, I guess, was a sermon last week. But there was enough here that I subdivided the text because you have, from last week, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil making an appearance. And I said in the sermon last week, hey, we don't have time to talk about it. We'll talk about it this coming week, which was true. It just felt like too much in the sermon last week to cover all at once. But then the flip side is that, hey, if I chop off this little text here, it gives me an opportunity to talk about the Bible and the doctrine of Scripture. So in all of the years of Liberty Collingswood M, I don't think I've ever actually preached a sermon. I've preached from the Bible, hopefully every week, but I've never actually preached a sermon about the Bible. And specifically with Represence Initiative, as we're doubling down as a church in various ways, it felt like it was worth it to spend a Sunday talking about the scriptures in part, and I said this in the sermon yesterday too, because we're talking about a lot of 
contended issues culturally right now, going back to the scriptures, why are we doing that instead of doing something else? Right. And I, I, I do kind of see that as related a lot to these hot, hot topic issues that you've been talking about, mm-hmm. um, where you are, you've been positing that like we need to go to the scriptures to, um, to have our, for yeah. form our opinions. Um, and, I I think that it's important to wrestle with like what do we believe about scripture? What do we what do we really think about it? So I'm glad for this chance to pause. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see our congregation, or what are you ex- excited to see God doing as you're preaching about this topic? One of the words that we've been using in the context of Represence Initiative, which did not originate with us, but I've heard a couple other pastors and churches talking in this direction as they also are wrestling with how to be a church in a post-Christian and post-COVID world, resilient or resiliency. To be resilient disciples of Jesus in this coming season or seasons, we need to make sure that we're deeply rooted in the scriptures because that's the Psalm 1, the tree rooted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither, bears fruit in all seasons. And I don't see how you can be a resilient follower of Jesus without being deeply rooted in the scriptures. And I flipped it around. I, I mentioned that as, you know, deconversion and deconstruction of faith is a thing for American Christians right now. Before people say, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Bible reading goes by the wayside considerably, in my experience, before that. So one of the ways to head off, potentially... Uh, full-scale deconstruction and deconversion from faith is to make sure that you're staying in the scriptures and let God keep talking to you. Yeah, and I kind of see that um, I really resonated with the central uh, image that you were giving of how with your spouse, you do need to like know them and understand them. Oh, oh, that resonated with you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a shocker. Tell me more. I'm listening. <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was meaning the other uh, the other example where you were talking about the husband. Oh, with Lloyd. Right. Who said, um, have you asked her what she wants? And the person saying, she's my wife. I already know her. Right. And I do see the parallel of us kind of feeling like, oh, we already know God. We've explored this before. We have an idea of God in our head that makes sense to us so like, let's just go with that. Yep. Um, but I, I kind of like a Christian discipleship cruise control sort of thing. Right. There's like that on one hand, which I probably fall prey to. But then the other one of constructing someone in your head, like God is a God of love. God is a God sure. who wouldn't shame or judge or all these other things. Um, uh, just having the God that you think, you know, but not really taking the time to like look at the bible look at where are we finding these the the historic um nature of god revealed yeah anyway um so i liked that as a through line because i could easily see say see most of us most of my friends at least my circle of female friends christian or not christian um talk talking trash about a husband who just is like he never asks me what i'm interested in mm-hmm <laughs> He just assumes that I'll get him beer for him at the Super Bowl. <laughs> nervous laughter, nervous laughter. <laughs> he yeah. just like sits and watches football as I wash the Thanksgiving dishes with his sisters and his mother and no males. 
<laughs> I'm not saying anything right now. <laughs> but this then, is a Thanksgiving podcast. This is a this you, is a festivus. Then you dialogue with your spouse and you realize that there's more perspectives and deeper perspectives and then you start really helping and becoming a partnership and taking care of the kids and washing dishes yeah. and football really is good for humanity. That's a is that where you're going? Podcast dead silence. I know you love yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I do think that's true. Um whether it's relationships with other people or relationship with God, I think as a default, and I mentioned this a little bit towards the end of my inaugural blog post for the Letters to You blog, we'll talk about that towards the end in the encores, but the the whole our default is in relationships not to actually relate to the other person and in laziness just think that we know the other person without actually pursuing who that other person really is. So we can be spiritually lazy and not actually be conditioned by the scriptures in how we're relating to God. Right. So I liked that, um, that setup. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you want to move to Sun Studios as we examine Sun this Studios? Specific, this is specific passage of scripture. Presence of the Lord. Um, how does this Bible passage exactly relate to this concept? Because I get the relationship one, but like, yeah, um, I don't. I honestly don't even remember the passage, which is not awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is a scripture one. Okay. Wow! <laughs> I didn't have a bulletin Let's in front of me. I didn't do have, a refresher. I did not have the scripture in front of me because I had a uh, post throwing up kid in my living room when That's I was watching. You were watching at home. <laughs> so this was from the middle of Genesis chapter two. God speaking to the man. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely—excuse me—you shall surely die. So this was, this was admittedly a jumping-off point. Uh, this is the second time that God has addressed humanity directly, but the first negative command. And so, if this is revelation to be trusted, obeyed, and followed by human beings, that was a platform from which um, I talked more broadly about doctrine or scripture. So. On one hand, this was a little bit of a topical sermon, but hopefully still there's a thread of connection with with the original scripture passage. And I hope I treated it well enough in its own terms. I did talk a little bit about what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil meant. But one of the things that gave me the, the idea to go in this direction was that quote from Martin Luther about this passage. I'll read it one more time here. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is Adam's church, altar, and pulpit. Here he was to yield to God the obedience he owed, give recognition to the word and will of God, give thanks to God and call upon God for aid against temptation. So Luther considered this saying of God to Adam, don't eat from that tree for the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. This was God's word at that time for Adam. And so I went from there to talk about God's word for us. Right. And I like in my notes, I'm, I was kind of positing or you, I wrote down the part where you were talking about like, do we view this tree as like magic? Do we view it as right. um, this just cloudy concept? Um, and <laughs> you called it a proto sacrament, which I thought was like, <laughs> yeah is, is that I where like, i said maybe this is muddying this, the, is yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i was like oh yeah you were more? throwing you were um you were doing your own 
uh, drop, <laughs> name drop of this podcast. <laughs> Very meta of you. Self-referential. Um, but yeah, you intentionally were muddying the waters and yet proto-sacrament. Like you want to... Yeah, did did that make sense or did it just cause lack of clarity? <laughs> I can go back to it. You you had a throwing up kid on your lap. Or not on your lap, hopefully. But um Oh, I stayed far away from her. <laughs> so so there is we don't want to say that there's something crass about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where there is an incantation or a spell that's broken when Adam and Eve take the fruit and eat it. But if it's not something sort of wrote in that direction then how do we consider the tree and the whole thing about sacraments is that lord's supper and baptism in themselves don't do anything but by the holy spirit they're connected to something real and important so in the same way with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it's not something in the tree itself there's nothing that physically transferred from the fruit into the mouths into the stomachs of adam and eve that changed them just because they ate the fruit but it did in a real and intentional way point to something greater so that was the sacramental connection there i, I got that from seminary go seminary <laughs> nerds <laughs> all of them right all, all of them are nerds um yeah, and I th- think that thinking, okay, it's it wasn't You're magic. What, that wasn't a magic moment in a fairy tale. This um, magic moment. I thought this was a no singing podcast. Oh, sorry. I thought we discussed That's that. That's when we record on Tuesday. <laughs> um, the idea that it's not magic, the idea that like just being in nature is not enough, just like absorbing the presence of God because it feels right isn't mm-hmm. enough. Um that resonates because I think it's easy to slide into that, like easy to slide into. It just feels like a. I feel connected to nature. Nature does speak yeah. in when you're when you're out peering at the ocean or walking in the woods quietly. There's something yeah. that speaks, but um, yeah. And I liked your concept of other cultures uh, positing that nature actually assumes that god is against us right and that might be a better way to look at it right now because of climate change as you've talked about yeah because of natural disasters maybe we should be looking at uh the complexity of nature not just like saying that nature speaks to us positively yeah it's only borrowed capital from the judeo-christian story by which people can look at nature and say god is really thrilled with me and god loves us so much because sometimes nature indicates the other way although i did try to distinguish between special and general revelation which again is a nerdy theological category just from nature and how we're made that's god's general revelation to us that brings us to a knowledge of god but it's not a saving knowledge because there's no revelation of god's way of salvation in jesus but we can know that there is a god that there is a moral sense of right and wrong baked into humanity and that this God is a God of power, but we shouldn't stop there. We need to follow the breadcrumbs of general revelation into a full knowledge of God that comes through the scriptures. And just to say to him that the argument from personhood for the doctrine of scripture, maybe this is something. Say that again, the argument for personhood. The argument from personhood. So the whole thing about if God is a person, <laughs> Speaking therefore, English, dude. God, well, I, I didn't, I didn't use that language in the sermon, but this is where we go <laughs> backstage, right? So we're 
backstage should be clarifying. It shouldn't be like <laughs> shouldn't muddy the waters. So this this is a way of constructing doctrine of scripture that I have not seen in a lot of places, but it's something that I've been thinking about for years. Where to me, and could could I nerd out for just a second here? I guess. <laughs> The, the argument from personhood says that we can trust the revelation of God and the scriptures because God is a person. To me, that can bridge, and I joke about books that I haven't written. There was one Garden of Forking Paths version of me, um, I think early on in seminary, I spent a few weeks saying, hey, maybe I should get a PhD and be like a a Christian scholar. If, if I had done that, it would have been some combination of Trinitarian theology and theological prolegomena, which would have, uh, oh, if if our listeners, Helen loves, if you could see how Emily is looking at me right now. Yeah, the date, so, the date nights would have been even more how, awesome. How God has revealed himself and how we can know. I do think that an argument for the doctrine of scripture from the personhood of God can bridge the modern and postmodern worlds, and then, okay, this is, Helen Wolf, feel free to follow up about this. I will stop here, but the, it could be that the argument from personhood for doctrine of scripture can play into the hands of a post-structuralist or deconstruction mindset. Who is this podcast but then, for? <laughs> the, but then I think you need to thread that through the aseity and oh omniscience gosh. of God. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> There probably is at least one person who like is getting that and chewing. If you're that it. one person, it is let not, me know. You are me. my favorite person. <laughs> I'd rather talk about relationships, but <laughs> well, that's you know, there's different layers. It's an onion. Okay, it's a, it's a so s- like sweet, sweet onion. I think we could move on. I I know you actually did have many points about. We can move that into muddying the water, yeah. waters. I think. Um, and that is like one of the issues. Like you're construct as you're constructing the sermon, you are co- your contexts that you're engaging mm-hmm. are multitude, um, including the ones that are yep. more philosophical or m- more thinking about this at a at a theological level, where doctrine of scripture yep. is all those things that you were just saying. And then you're also speaking to um, a skeptic who just thinks that this book is crazy. And you yes. try to address that too. Yep. So, yeah. So tell me about which context. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're laughing. What, what was I trying to do here? What was, what was, which end was up with this sermon? So admittedly, this is a little bit of a topical or let's say theological or systematic theological sermon. And no, if the four main parts of the sermon, the necessity, sufficiency, clarity, and authority of scriptures, like you don't get that from Genesis chapter two it's not it's not in the text although these are classic categories for thinking about the scriptures and the attributes of the bible what's interesting to me and if i could use a phrase like systematic theology like those theological categories that i just jumped into in the sermon uh, when i read systematic theology I, f- I i find it and i probably read thousands of pages about doctrine of scripture over the years what's interesting to me is that when you read systematic theology, especially contemporary theology, it only talks to other Christian views. Mm-hmm. And the theology that I like the best, I mentioned Herman Bovink in the sermon, a Dutch theologian. He was expounding robust, traditional, orthodox Christian theology, but was speaking into non-Christian contexts. Sure. So 
that's what I was trying to do. Who knows if it was successful? So talking doctrine of scripture that wouldn't just be a jumble of Christianese to the Christians, but actually present a compelling case to scripture for the non-Christians. Like one quick example there. I don't know, Em, if you have any recollection at all of the Heidelberg Catechism sermon series that I did a while ago mm. at, at Liberty Collingswood. The uh, All the Heidelberg Catechism resources and books that I had, only one of them, and it was Karl Barth, a 20th century theologian, small book on the Heidelberg Catechism, written in between World War I and World War II, where you know it's been called the crisis of man was going on as caused by the wars. The... Only Bart was actually speaking into non-Christian contexts, but then all of the rest of the theological stuff, well, we're disagreeing with this part of the church, or we're disagreeing with this tradition, but what do we do, especially in a post-Christian context like this, how do we present the scriptures in a context of deep skepticism towards why we should do anything positive with this book at all? Sure. Yeah, especially considering there are Christians who are looking at the text or people who are professing Christian yeah. Christianity, but then seeing the arguments as empty, as as uh, connected to a secular voice, um, yeah. uh, start buying into or, or veering towards the secular voices instead. That's what I tell younger preachers, especially in a context like this, when you preach to the skeptics, and not that you know, hopefully I make sense to Christians too on a Sunday morning, but when you preach to the skeptics, you're actually also preaching to the Christians that themselves, and this is all of us, including me, that we have skeptical thoughts. So hopefully this is ministering, not only, you know, making a compelling case to non-Christians, but keeping Christians on their reservation a little bit too. Sure. I mean, because I think that, I think that all of us could look at the the story of Adam and Eve and just move to fair, fairy tale or yeah. like us watching uh what was the show we were watching one <laughs> last night no the good and evil the bad omens is that what it was good omens, good omens. <laughs> tell me more about this bad omen show oh that my you're gosh watching. I can't juicy keep, I can't keep <laughs> details in my head anymore I <laughs> anyway um like when you when you start watching enough of shows like that Mm -hmm. it is like there's a very obvious like it feels like a story it feels like a narrative or a fairy tale um and it it's only in like really studying and meditating on god's word that um the spirit uses that to to breathe real life into it yeah that's interesting so we could take a show like good omens the Good Place, the sitcom is another example that takes some Christian categories and does fun things with them for entertainment. But Emma, if I'm hearing what you're saying, and because I'm in a relationship of love with you, I want to listen to you and uh, hear you where there? you're coming from. <laughs> yes, I am. The If we're not careful, we can place you know, different riffs, sometimes irreverent ones, on the Christian story, like Good Omens or Good Place. And I appreciate both of those shows. They're fun. But then put the Bible itself on the same continuum of speculative stories that have some Christian-adjacent topics, as opposed to, actually, this is the one that's real, and we appreciate the riffs for what they are as fun fictions, but we don't want to treat the scriptures in the same way. Right. Um yeah, so I feel like that's a context you're you're addressing too as you yeah. as you speak to us. Right. And and really the the big idea with muddying the waters is just 
grappling with this question, how and why on earth should we trust the Bible or trust the scriptures really at all? So towards the end of the sermon, I was talking about, I mentioned the phrase halfway house, I think, where I think for a lot of us as Christians, we can live in this halfway house, so to speak, where sure, we're respecting the scriptures. It's not like we're ignoring the scriptures, but when the rubber hits the road in this cultural moment, we're not actually pulling with the scriptures, but pulling away from them. That's a halfway house where we want to have our cake and eat it too. But at the end of the day there, we're our own authority. And even if you have a higher doctrine of scripture, I hopefully made clear, those folks don't obey the scriptures perfectly either. So there's not like first and second class Christians because nobody's fully in line with the scriptures Mm -hmm. but we don't want to mask our being our own authorities in a scripture wrapper and we know that we're actually submitting to the authority of scriptures when it when it hurts a little bit or when when we feel when we feel those tensions and Christianity is not all pain no gain but we should as followers of Jesus have those moments where pulling towards the scriptures actually we feel we feel the weight and gravitas of that right and you linked that again i think this is an echo of or it's speaking to the uh the other sermons in the sermon series where you Mm -hmm. were specifically talking about left and right right um and how i don't know like our our left or right views whatever we're identifying with um are they actually innately um flawed also and like the scriptures as like the tethering line that may be um maybe able to clarify things for us is that yeah so one of the things that we're trying to do with the represence initiative and with the sermon series is we want to deconstruct secularity a little bit and if on the surface it just seems bonkers to say i believe that a 2000 plus year old book is authoritative how much can we trust this current moment either? So if you balk at the idea that the scriptures are sufficient, uh, where are you getting your sufficiency from? Is it just you, a couple of friends, and your Twitter feed, crassly speaking? Uh, Can we have great confidence in that? And and then the other stuff about the the mask wars um where this uh, is a pre-thanksgiving podcast by the way so like you like back to being a hundred percent practical how do you help people at the thanksgiving table who have mask wars or others right yeah i was actually thinking about that um and we don't need to go into a ton of detail here (laughs) but thanksgiving 2016 was right after the the election that sort of lit the powder keg on polarization and it was a rough weekend right so and i don't think that's we're i don't think we're isolated i think that's like maybe the narrative of a lot of our listeners a lot of america and i think that being a christian who um i think what you were saying about when you're talking to someone and scripture is your reason for the specific belief that you have yeah. that people respect that i think that that is more respectable than saying well i'm a progressive therefore i believe in this or i'm a republican and therefore i believe in this like yeah. i think that trying to make sure that we're aligning our beliefs our core beliefs with um with principles of scripture regardless of their stance or non-stance um yeah. i don't know 
yeah let let that hold its own integrity and i don't think it's as bad as we might think in all cases at least to say to friends neighbors loved ones hey i'm not quite there because i'm trying to hold my own christian spirituality with integrity um sure and also feel free to feel free to deconstruct the the right and the left going back to the mask wars just for a second here baby the whole thing about is it obvious that the secular right is so anti-mask and the secular left so Mm pro-mask when the arguments for both sides have actually been used in reverse with issues like abortion and national security and patriot act Mm -hmm. and then also i have been you know reading some books about 20th century what a great century the 20th century the uh i i was born i'm a man out of time me and captain america so the it's crazy to see how political positions of the right and of the left have flip-flopped over time and in some pretty striking ways and then also more towards the, the the current context does the secularity of the right and does the secularity of the left actually deliver what it promises and I think we do see friends, neighbors, and loved ones that are just rabbit holing deeper and deeper into the left and to the right. It's not giving them peace. It's just mm-hmm. making them anxious, angry, tribal, and polarized. And so hopefully a winsome Christian witness would be to gently say, what if, what if the emperor has no clothes? Mm-hmm. And what if there is a different and better way than just the doubling down, doubling down, doubling down, and getting angrier and angrier? Right. Easier said than done. Easier said than done. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Um, happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, let's move to bar band cover tunes. Mm-hmm. I only caught Bavink, which is mm-hmm. the Dutch. I know how much you love the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually do. I'll take a Dutch. I'll take a little Dutch. Uh, Dutch on the side. Yeah, so, but you already covered Bavink. Uh, you talks. There was Luther, there was Bavink, there was a German theologian, and this guy's your favorite, Adolf Schlatter. Oh you're, my gosh. You're, a, you're a Schlatter head. Voltaire. As they, uh-huh. oh, oh yeah, Voltaire, saying that nobody's going to believe the Bible after his, his generation. Your references this week. What was going on? Uh, high culture, <laughs> low ha- culture. What happened to... I don't. I can't deal with high culture anymore. I used to. This is another relationship thing. I used to be the theologian in this relationship. That is true. <laughs> what happened there? What happened? <laughs> yeah. So I was reading recently. I'm about uh, Pauline Kael. Uh, maybe the next to Roger Ebert, and this is more mid mid to late 20th century, not late 20th century. Uh, movie critic that was sort of the dean of movie criticism on the front end of when it became a thing. She wrote for a while for the New Yorker movie criticism, and this book was saying that the the brilliance of the New Yorker magazine was that it was successfully middlebrow, <laughs> where Ooh. it had it See, was able to. That is the tagline that you want for this podcast. <laughs> I, I highlighted that brow. successfully middle brow. And I was like, this is me. This is speaking my language. So I think that that's the title of your next podcast. Successfully middle oh, brow. Me, me and Pat might or need like, to Or like get rid of letters to you. I mean, that. it's like very, it's kind of, I, <laughs> it's too like sugary. <laughs> okay. Um, middle brow. Well, well, we have a, we have a winner here. Successfully middle brow. Uh, we're, we've just 
in the space that Emily said that I've copyrighted that. So it's, it's off the table for everybody else. But um, yeah, so, so the whole thing about being successfully middle brow is you're able to poke fun of like the super rich and elites and say uh, they're kind of silly. They're stuck in their own little privileged worlds. But then also you're able to say, you know, I like a low comedy. I'll take an always sunny in Philadelphia. But then also like, well... But we all know that like network sitcoms are kind of meh. So yeah, you're successfully middle brow at oh, the same time. This is all coming together. You okay? Here's <laughs> a secret to the people who are still listening. I don't know how many people actually oh, that out there. is. But um, I see you. Did you know that Jim would regularly? I don't. Do you still do this? Like read movie uh, reviews by he really likes Ebert. Yeah, liked or whatever. Sorry. Oh, I still like him. He's um, great. <laughs> Dead but great. <laughs> um. And then in dinner party conversation would act like he had seen the movie because he'd read reviews of it (laughs) (laughs) and had opinions about it. That's how we should relate to scripture, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now you know, guys. Right. I will say, finally, with Barban cover tunes, I... I drew from Second Timothy chapter 3 at multiple times in the sermon. That's the all scripture is God breathed passage. It makes the man of God complete, equipped for every good work. It's necessary for to make us wise for salvation. So a lot of the different attributes of scripture are seen, whether it's necessity, sufficiency, clarity, authority, all wrapped up in that Second Timothy 3 passage. So that's a that's a big one. I'm sorry you're getting so choked up about it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on. Guitar Slim Pickens, any Mm -hmm. leftovers, things that trivia about this um, sermon, things you wish you could redo? The sermon was a little bit longer. Again, I don't know if that's going to stay with my preaching, but with Pre-Presence Initiative and tackling some larger subjects, it's it's at least been on purpose that the sermons have been a little bit longer. So thank you for your patience as I preach a little bit long i still haven't figured out what the ideal sermon length not only for me it's a balance of what's what's good for me but then also what's what's best for our congregation it's hard when you you do like to nuance things and that's probably partly my fault with um our date (laughs) back to our dating relationship speaking of bad dates um because Jim would like or, or bad just dates were congenitally under throw something out without being nuanced, and then I'd like run away, scared that he didn't like understand the nuance, and mm-hmm. then he'd have to like come back, circle back, and like write this long diatribe about how he understood my perspective, but blah 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 blah, and like pages and pages later, I'd be like, okay, he gets it. <laughs> <laughs> good so, times. It's my fault, guys. They they were good times. So sermon was a little bit long. As, if this is the last sermon for Represence Initiative until after the new year, I'm tired. This has been a sermon series that's been difficult to construct. So I'm happy for a break even today as I work more on a sermon series from Matthew mm-hmm. for Advent. Yeah. The, the, Charlie Brown Christmas story. We can just we can remember yeah, Jesus. That's <laughs> why we're doing all this tough stuff because there is an advent of the Messiah into the world. Okay, good trivia. Um, encore. Are we here at Encore? Helen Wolves. Here at Encore. Um, I have an Encore uh, from our daughter Clara. I was going to ask if we got anything. Who was protesting that? protesting that you said that our household was full of teenagers and middle schoolers preteens and she like perked up and um 
was kind of offended. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair enough. And to be honest, like she doesn't act like a teenager. She's actually, she's actually quite um, non-teenager-ish. Yes. Any, any, any words to address her? Because I'm sure she's listening. (laughs) I just love her so much. (laughs) Okay. Any other notes from people? I do have a couple of things, and because this is Monday morning, I'm I'm off my rhythm a little bit. So as you were talking just now, I'm scanning I, to see. What yeah, I, angry I checked. From... I, I checked the mailbox, which I forgot to do earlier. So Scott, thank you for this note, and I'll go ahead and read it. Is that okay? No. So, <laughs> hi, hi Jim and Emily. Great sermon this week. This one on the Bible has been one of my favorites throughout this whole Genesis series. Props. Also like the questions at the end of the podcast for Howlin' Wolves to answer. To the first question, a question about Bruce, I have a confession to make. I haven't really listened <gasps> to much of Springsteen's stuff. It just wasn't part of okay, my library. Okay, I think he's, you're going to stop up. reading now. The, <laughs> right. This, 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 this email is canceled, Scott. Of the songs I do know, I'd say that Dancing in the Dark is my favorite. I, I actually don't have a sense, Scott, of your musical tastes. So Dancing one of the things the about why I love Bruce so much is that, you know, different people who, who go in different directions musically will, I'll recommend different periods of Bruce or different albums based on my understanding of their musical tastes. Uh, in general, Bruce is like the Rosetta Stone of late, late 20th century rock music where He's the inheritor of so many different streams, and he has so many jumping off points, too. So, Scott, let's consider that to be continued. And Helen Wolves, if you would like the Bruce Palm reading from Jim, you may write in. There we go. <laughs> uh, it'll be very intimate. So, Scott, to be continued. To the Bible question, the question last week was, uh, what are some of your issues or struggles over the years with the scriptures? I had issues with the four points you talked about in the sermon, the four attributes of the scriptures. During college, I was still pretty new and nominal in my faith, and my university definitely fell on the modernist side of things, to use the modernist fundamentalist dichotomy. Though I'm not sure if all of the professors were modernists. The ones I learned from were so the idea of the Bible is full of contradictions, books cobbled together from multiple sources. That was part of my college experience. What ultimately helped me become more orthodox or fundamentalist in quotation marks was wise and godly men and preachers in Korea who helped me work through some of these things and gave me resources on the issues. So, Scott, thank you for writing in. And yeah, there are some unhelpful Christian voices in the contemporary context about, you know, why why it's okay to be a Christian and not trust the Bible at all. Uh, There's plenty of people that, that make me nervous, but I did try to say, some of their arguments are, are good and compelling and need to be taken seriously, but a lot of them are just straw man arguments that they're raising questions as if they're new, but they've actually been talked about, debated for a long time, and a robust orthodox view of the scriptures, like they give some pretty good settled arguments back that I feel are sometimes not given weight, other times just outright ignored, so... Scott, thank you for writing in about that. A couple other Helen Wolves, baby, to uh, round out. Okay. So, so, so a couple of texts and stuff that didn't come through the postsundayblues at gmail.com. Shoot. No one but emails, I'll, really. I'll go ahead and say, no, we got a lot of emails. No, I mean, just like in life, people aren't emailing. Okay. Actually, this, this, this same person, 
said two, I'll say two things in this case, and I I don't think this person will mind being named anonymously, which I guess is not to be named. But but he he said it's pretty funny how Emily encouraged people to write in with. And you pitched me, hey, can you give a couple specific questions? But then towards the end of that spiel, you said, I would never do that. <laughs> so good, that good for you. In a nutshell. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's true. And then this person also said, so we were talking last week about why people were laughing when I said two sermons ago, I'm not a Marxist. And, you know, why, why were people laughing at that? That was unintentional comedy. He said, I think the laughter after the I'm not a Marxist was 71% LOL, we didn't think you were, and 29% nervous laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. And so that, and then he also said, but Karl Marx plus Bruce Springsteen equals chef's kits emoji. <laughs> <laughs> that had style. And finally, I did get a couple of people saying that they got the shrubbery reference. Which I... Do. That's all. Oh, wait. I think I might know it. Anyway. Oh. Is it podcast listening? The Monty Python? Oh, maybe not. Okay, never mind. No. What What did you think never shrubbery meant? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued now. <laughs> Tell me about your shrubbery. <laughs> can we annex that from the podcast? <laughs> Sure. Okay. Um, it has been excised. You guys can write in. I don't know. Are we have? Well, we'll talk about later whether we have a post Thanksgiving, post Sunday blues. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> and and I did want to shout out um, that the blog is live. So oh yeah, the blog. Your blog. The... That I don't like the. I I do like the title. It is, but you said specifically last week that it's a good title i share i shared my bad title with you which was the subject of the first blog post you agreed that that was horrible and you said yes letters to you is much better but but that was last week (laughs) and and we hadn't yet uncovered successfully middle brow successfully middle brow i guess you could you could be like sued right is that a phrase that no it's not a phrase okay successfully middle well brow. we do have some other podcasts coming maybe, maybe one of those could be called successfully middle um, brow and you introed it as uh your your hope to enter digital babylon with sometimes christ sometimes culture <laughs> is that the, okay, you're taking is two that different things line? that i said in the space of a few different sentences and, and putting them together that's what note taking is so part of the represence initiative one of our pathways of presence is to produce more digital or online content and that's podcasts, which we're hoping to build out into more series of podcasts on the Liberty Collingswood podcast feed and also a blog where I'll probably be a primary writer, but not exclusively. So just trying to get things to get people thinking about Jesus and their place in the world, Christ and culture sort of stuff. And it's going to be fun. So go to the church website, libertycollingswood.org. Backsla- I forget, but it's on it's on our website. And it's very middle brow. It is. It's trying to, it's aspirationally successfully middle brow. <laughs> Un- unsuccessfully middle brow. Um, as this podcast was since you were quoting Vo- Voltaire and Bob Inc. <laughs> flowers, flowers person. That's middle brow. Fla- flowers are middle brow. Let's face it. With that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. 
production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more post-Sunday blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Testing, testing, testing. It's Monday, not Tuesday. Uh, I don't know how people work on Monday.